MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, September 24th, 2021. Today, Bannon admits on air he was part of the 1-6 insurrection conspiracy. The Biden White House is leaning toward releasing information about Trump and the 1-6 attack. The Supreme Court has its lowest approval rating ever since it allowed SB8 to stand. Some clarity on the debt ceiling showdown in Congress. And today in Be Careful What You Wish For, the creator of The Wire will not film his new HBO show in Texas because of SB8. I'm your host, Allison Gill. All right, I'm all by my lonesome today. Dana is traveling. And speaking of traveling, I will be in D.C. on October 22nd and 23rd, Boston, October 24th and 25th, and New York City on the 26th and 27th. Patrons, you can look for in-person happy hour meetup information on the Patreon page soon, and you'll be able to RSVP as soon as I have the information and details and location stuff and times. Very important Muller She Wrote episode this Sunday, by the way. You're going to want to listen. I've got an interview with Scott Studman, who's got an exclusive in ForensicNews.net about these indictments on Russian money being funneled into the country by two GOP operatives. Very interesting indictment and what the implications are. So you'll want to join us this Sunday for Muller, she wrote. And then, of course, Dana and I will be bringing you the MSW Book Club, Episode 3. We are covering Mary Trump's The Reckoning. You'll want to see that on Sunday, too. We've got that in our feeds. And patrons, you get all these episodes ad-free, plus all the live and virtual happy hour invites you could possibly want. Just go to patreon.com slash Muller, she wrote. Or you can look for The Daily Beans on Supercast. Today, I'll also be joined by Justice Matters host Glenn Kirshner. We're going to talk about the lead stories that dropped today. So let's do that. Let's get to the news and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, I'm going to get to the lead story in a minute because it ties directly into my discussion with Glenn Kirshner later in the show. So let's get a couple of other headlines out of the way first. First of all, the CDC has approved Pfizer boosters for the elderly, 65 and up, and high-risk patients following the approval of Moderna doing the same thing through the CDC. And this comes on the heels of a recent study showing Pfizer to be effective and safe in kids aged 5 to 11. And all of this has predictors indicating that we might not see a wave this winter like we did last winter, thanks in large part also to vaccine mandates. I'm hoping Biden requires them for air travel soon. That's my hope. The vaccinated shouldn't be relegated to stay at home because of the irresponsible And I think we would see a lot fewer air incidents of violence if unvaccinated weren't allowed on flights. Maybe that's speculative and correlative. In fact, I I guarantee you it's correlative, but seems like a strong correlation. Also in the news, the approval of the U.S. Supreme Court has fallen to a new low of all time, 40 percent this month, according to the Gallup poll released on Thursday. The surveys were conducted from September 1st through the 17th. That's around the time the Supreme Court declined to block an extremely restrictive I'm going to go ahead and call it flat out unconstitutional Texas abortion law, as well as allow college vaccine mandates to continue. That's from Gallup. At 53 percent, a slight majority of respondents said they disapproved of the Supreme Court. 53. That's more than a slight majority. Since 2001, the high court's approval rating has dipped as low as 42 percent in 2005 and 2017. In July 2020, the court had an approval rating of 49 percent. That means this drop is 10 percentage points within the span of just a couple of months. That's huge. Quote, Americans' opinions of the Supreme Court are now the worst Gallup has measured in its polling on the institution over the past two plus decades. At this point, less than a majority of Republicans, Democrats and independents approve of the job the court is doing. Barely half of Democrats and independents are confident in it, while confidence is slightly higher among Republicans. The survey also found a sharp decline in the amount of Americans who say they have confidence in the Supreme Court. In 2020, 67% said they had a great deal or a fair amount of confidence in the judicial branch. But according to the more recent survey, 54% say the same thing. That's a drop of 13%. Gallup also noted this new low was recorded a little over a year after the court had an approval rating of 58%, just three percentage points shy of the highest approval rating it has ever seen with Gallup. When it came to political opinions of the court, 40% of respondents said it was too conservative. 20% said it was too liberal. And of the remainder, 37 percent, the court was said the court was about right. 
Gallup noted that this appraisal was largely affected by individual political leanings, with Republicans more likely to say the court is about right. Gallup conducted the random survey of about a thousand adults in all 50 states and D.C. The results have a margin of error of plus or minus four percentage points with a 95 percent confidence level. It's kind of a high margin of error. Gallup's poll follows a Quinnipiac University survey last week, also found the Supreme Court had an all-time low with only 37% saying they approved. That's where I think it's closer. With that four-point margin of error and at, uh, at 40, I think 37 is closer. This marked the lowest rating since Quinnipiac began recording their ratings in 2004. And in a related story, the creator of The Wire is looking for filming locations that look like Texas, but are not Texas, because he will not work in the Lone Star State. David Simon said he will not allow filming for his upcoming HBO show to take place in Texas due to the state's new abortion law, which deputizes private citizens to sue anyone who provides an abortion to women after six weeks of pregnancy or aids and abets them. Simon wrote on Twitter, if an employer, this is beyond politics. I'm turning in scripts next month on an HBO nonfiction miniseries based on events in Texas, but I can't and won't ask female cast and crew to forego civil liberties to film there. What else looks like Dallas Fort Worth? He's responding to criticism of the decision to you know, the Dallas the film and creative industries. He says, my response is not rooted in any debate about political efficacy or the utility of any boycott. My singular responsibility is to securing and maintaining the civil liberties of all those we employ during the course of this production. So good on you. And from Steve Bennon, not Bannon, but Bennon at MSNBC, we get a little bit of clarity on why the debt ceiling battle is going the way it's going. Let me read from this report for you. He says, when the Republican Party launched the nation's first ever debt ceiling crisis 10 years ago, there was no real question about the GOP's demands. Party leaders effectively told the Obama White House, give us trillions of dollars in spending cuts or we'll crash the economy on purpose. Exactly eight years ago today, Republicans tried again, telling Democrats they would meet their obligations, but only if Democrats delayed implementation of the ACA, approved the Keystone XL pipeline, imposed Medicare means testing, made the Dodd-Frank financial regulatory reform law more Wall Street friendly, increased oil drilling, and ended the EPA's efforts to combat the climate crisis. Seriously, that's what was included in the party's ransom note, according to Steve Bannon. As Recline wrote at the time that the wish list isn't a serious governing document, it isn't even a plausible opening bid, it's a cry for help. This year, the circumstances seem similar. Republicans have created another debt ceiling crisis, creating a potentially catastrophic risk of the global economy, except for the apparent lack of a ransom note. Senate Republican McConnell famously described the debt ceiling as a hostage that's worth ransoming, but on the surface, it's not at all clear what the GOP wants in exchange for this hostage. We see Republicans pointing a gun at our economy, but we don't see the ransom note with demands that would lead the party to put the gun away and let the economy go unscathed. What do you want? At least, that's the way it seems on the surface. Steve Bennon says, I wrote an item the other day about Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who claimed a day earlier that extending the debt limit would make it easier for Democrats to add trillions more in debt. That was a rather obvious lie, and he explained why. To his surprise, he heard from Dave Vasquez, the Texas senator's press secretary, who took issue with a different part of Dave Bennon's post. Vasquez argued via email that Cruz's point was that Democrats are 100 percent capable of raising the debt ceiling through the reconciliation process without a single Republican vote, a process that can't be filibustered. And he said this is an indisputable fact. And he made this statement. Your summary of the GOP position being you must pass this legislation on your own and we won't allow you to pass this legislation on your own is just isn't just misleading. It's factually wrong. The GOP can't filibuster the reconciliation process and pretending we're somehow in gridlock because the Democrats are deliberately choosing not to take the wide open lane is a farce. In fact, failing to mention the Democrats have a filibuster proof route readily available to them is intentionally deceiving. David says this is surprisingly constructive, largely because it helps explain the nature of the fact that there's no ransom note. Democratic leaders have come up with a straightforward resolution on the crisis. The majority party has drafted a bill, the Democrats, which the House has already passed, that would prevent a government shutdown, extend the debt ceiling and fund both disaster relief and Afghan resettlement. Republican leaders have said they support each of those goals, but they will block the bill with the filibuster anyway. It's why I characterize the GOP's position as foolish. Republicans are telling Democrats to extend the debt ceiling while simultaneously preventing Democrats from voting on a bill that would extend the debt ceiling. But Cruz's office has identified a more important nuance to the GOP's posture. Republicans aren't just telling Democrats to extend the debt ceiling. Republicans want to force Democrats to extend the debt ceiling in a very specific way. And this is where the writing on the hostage note comes into focus. 
Republicans want to dictate terms, giving the Democratic majority instructions on how to prevent the GOP from causing a deliberate economic catastrophe. McConnell made a rather explicit presentation on the Senate floor this morning, outlining how the unified Democratic government will raise the debt limit. In prepared remarks, the minority leader described the details of the scenario in which Democrats would amend their existing budget resolution. Or put another way, Senate Republicans have prepared instructions on how to release the hostage. Democrats must jump through a series of procedural hoops, add a debt ceiling increase to their Build Back Better legislation, and then pass the revised package through budget reconciliation, which the GOP cannot block with a filibuster. But can Congress simply pass a clean debt ceiling extension? Republicans say no. Can Congress add a debt ceiling extension to the continuing resolution that would prevent a shutdown? Republicans say no. What the GOP will only tolerate is having Democrats raise the debt ceiling by adding it to the not-yet-written multi-trillion-dollar reconciliation bill. That is the ransom note. That's what Republicans are demanding in exchange for letting a hostage go. And why are GOP leaders making this demand? In part because they hope it'll make the Democratic legislation harder to pass, and in part because they believe it'll make the popular bill easier to attack. It's a political game that's as crass as it is dangerous, but it's the one congressional Republicans insist on playing. So everybody, that is the incredible piece in MSNBC by Steve Bennon. I suggest you read it. B-E-N-E-N is how you spell his last name. I think I called him Doug on accident. My bad. It's Steve. Anyway, and with that, we head into the lead stories today. The White House is leaning toward releasing information to Congress about what Donald Trump and his aides were doing on January 6th. This is a decision that could have significant political and legal ramifications. Trump has said he will cite executive privilege to block information requests from the House Select Committee investigating the events of January 6th, banking on a legal theory that he has successfully allowed presidents and their aides to avoid or delay congressional scrutiny for decades, including during the Trump administration. But President Biden's White House plans to err on the side of disclosure, given the gravity of the events of 1-6. That's according to two people familiar with discussions who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity. In response to questions about the White House deliberations over what information to release, Biden spokesman Michael Gwynn said the president views the attack on the Capitol as a dark stain in our country's history and is deeply committed to ensuring that something like this can never happen again. And he supports a thorough investigation. Members of the investigative committee argue that Trump no longer enjoys the protection of executive privilege, encouraging the White House to push aside institutional concerns about sharing information with Congress and aid the panel in an investigation focused on what Democrats and a handful of Republicans have called an assault on democracy. Quote, it's not really relevant because there's no president involved. There's no such thing as a former president's executive privilege, said Raskin. That's one of the committee members. He's also a con law professor, by the way. Quote, that's extremely dilute and not really relevant. What Trump was doing while the attack was occurring and who he was speaking with are among big unanswered questions concerning the assault on the Capitol. The debate over the validity of his executive privilege claims comes as the committee is moving into a new, more aggressive phase of its investigation having requested material from telecom social media companies in the White House and receiving some response, it's now looking how to best compel testimony and documents from those reluctant to participate. And so, you know, we're thinking about the National Archives here, and it looks like the Biden White House is happy to turn these over. And in a related story, former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon admitted on his War Room podcast that he had a hand in planning the rally, you know, for the insurrection. Bannon played a clip on War Room from an MSNBC broadcast, which Washington Post journalist Robert Costa and Bob Woodward said, who just released the book Peril, discussed Bannon meeting with Rudy and other top Trump allies the night before the insurrection. That's the fifth. Remember that? Remember the whole Seth Abramson thing? Yeah, that's a big deal. Costa claimed that on January 5th, Bannon, Giuliani and the other allies had a War Room type meeting at the Willard Hotel, which is located blocks from the White House. And quote, Bannon had actually been in close touch with Trump for days before January 6th. Based on our reporting, he privately told President Trump to have a reckoning on January 6th and said to the president, it's time to kill the Biden presidency in the crib. Bannon said on War Room, he confirmed that he met up with Trump and discussed how to kill the Biden presidency because of the supposed illegitimacy of now President Biden's win over Trump, a claim that has been debunked multiple times. Quote, 42% of the American people think that Biden did not win legitimately, said Bannon. So it killed itself. He said, just look at what this illegitimate regime is doing. It killed itself. OK, but we told you from the very beginning, just expose it. Never back down, never give up. And this thing will implode. Lawrence Tribe tweeted this article saying it'd be hard to justify Department of Justice inaction in the face of this rapidly mounting evidence of a criminal conspiracy to commit sedition against the U.S. government and give aid and comfort to an institution. See 18 U.S.C. sections 2383 and 2384. 
I love when Tribe tweets, and I'll be right back after this message to discuss the mounting evidence and this tweet with the host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. As you know, when I was a kid, my favorite food was cereal, but I have to give it up as an adult because of all the sugar and carbs and chemicals. And that made me sad. But then I discovered Magic Spoon, which made me happy again. Magic Spoon tastes like the cereal we had as kids, but it's not loaded with fat, sugar, and chemicals. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Plus, it's only 140 calories. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And best of all, it tastes amazing. I was skeptical at first, but then the first bite, I was hooked. You can build your own box or get a variety pack with available uh, flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, cinnamon, and my favorite, peanut butter. And Magic Spoon is bringing back two super popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle. So be sure to get these. They're delicious and indulgent. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and grab your delicious cereal and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code dailybeans, all one word at checkout, because you'll save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. There's no risk here. You have to try it. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans, all one word, to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon so much for, first of all, creating their product, and second of all, for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by Everlane. For me, adventure doesn't necessarily mean you know, travel and camping and stuff like that. Some of my favorite everyday adventures are getting lost in a book or reading the news, maybe binging some Ted Lasso, uh, brunch perhaps. But whether I'm exploring the pages of a novel or discovering a new kind of French toast, uh, Everlane has premium essentials to outfit me in comfort. They have amazing versatility. Their pieces can be used to dress up or dress down. I can. I have this great like V-neck tank top. It's V-neck in the front, V-neck in the back. I can put it on with skinny jeans and heels to go out at night. Or I can just wear it with my yoga pants, lounging around, Netflix and chilling. You can wear them for anything, going out or relaxing. And they have, you know, workout, swimwear, trackwear, styles for lounging at home or hitting up your favorite club. I love Everlane's breathable organic cotton trackwear, by the way. It gives an elevated take on a tried and true basic. And if you're looking for the perfect pants, Everlane's denim stays comfortable and versatile all year long. From skinny to relaxed, slim to athletic, you can find the perfect cut that fits you just right. You can choose your stretch level, vintage style rigid, Original with just a hint or body-hugging authentic stretch. All made from certified organic cotton in the world's cleanest denim factory with zero landfill waste. Everlane uses sustainable materials while partnering with the best and most ethical factories in the world for a fit that you could feel good about. Everlane accepts returns within 30 days of the ship date and all uniform clothing comes with a 365-day guarantee. So go to everlane.com slash dailybeans, sign up for 10% off your first order plus free shipping, and you'll get easy returns within 30 days of your ship date. That's 10% off your first order when you go to everlane.com slash dailybeans and sign up. And joining me today to discuss all of the stories we went over in the A Block and talk about why justice matters, it's the host of Justice Matters, my friend, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, how are you? I'm good, AG. How are you? I'm good. We are starting to see, and here's why I'm good, because Lawrence Tribe is tweeting. And every time Lawrence Tribe tweets, it seems as though the Department of Justice follows. And we got some news today that I want to go over with you. First, one of the things has to do with Bannon and something he said. Another thing has to do with uh, what the White House may be willing to release. And I kind of wanted to dis- you know, discuss how this fits into a larger conspiracy to overthrow the government and why that needs to be looked into if it's not already, which I think you believe it is. I believe it is being looked into. Um, it's actually, in my opinion, impossible to be investigating the nation's largest gang case ever, which is the gang that attacked U.S. Capitol on January 6th without investigating who funded it, who organized it, who incited it, and who covered it up afterwards, who's trying to get away with it. You cannot parcel out an investigation to say, you know what, we're only going to investigate the foot soldiers of the insurrection, the knuckleheads that actually attacked the Capitol. It's impossible to kind of apportion out a criminal investigation that way. Yeah, and, and we've never seen it happen that way. I mean, unless, you know, there's somebody like Rosenstein who's narrowing scopes and and whatnot. But even then, that was still allowed to go where it needed to go. And if there were things outside of that scope, they were handed off to other agencies. It it can't go uninvestigated. It simply can't. And and so let's talk a little bit about these pieces, because there's been some massive information coming out at what that I would consider pretty strong evidence uh, of of a deepening conspiracy. Not that we didn't already have it. 
But now we've got paper, right? We've got this six-part memo from John Eastman, right, about basically a coup for dummies, right? How to how to overthrow the government. Talk about that for a minute. And, and, and the reason I bring this up is because when I heard that, seven states, right, seven states that were in that six-part memo, I immediately thought of the Jeffrey Clark letters that he penned from the Department of Justice We have only seen the Georgia one. But what it said was, we have found irregularities in your election. We need you to consider having the legislature appoint another slate of electors. And that six-part memo, one of the steps was to create another slate of electors and to have Pence kind of carry out that idea that we've created another slate of electors. to, to. So this just seems connected to be part of the same scheme. Can you talk about that? And as you say, it's on paper. It's written down. You know, rarely, AG, when I was investigating gang cases, did I have, let's say, a gang of bank robbers and a series of written statements. Okay, now you're going to go out and you're going to rent the vehicles we need to use in the bank robbery. Now you, you're going to acquire the explosives so that we can get into the vault. Now you, I'm rarely, if ever, do we have that kind of evidence. But what you just described, John Eastman's six point, you know, how to overthrow democracy for dummies. And the the email that we have authored by Jeffrey Clark. I mean, all of this is like a conspiracy that a prosecutor could prove in his or her sleep. This is a seditious conspiracy. This is an insurrection. This is a rebellion. And I'll tell you, I'm actually now you know, I, we all go through highs and lows. You know, there's something really incriminating that gets reported. We all get excited. Then we hear nothing from the Department of Justice and we begin to get anxious and uh, and a little bit desperate. Uh, I am now moving in a good direction because I cannot conceive of a Department of Justice that takes all of this information simply that's been publicly reported. And the Woodward and Costa book is adding considerably to what we now know went on. I cannot conceive of a Department of Justice just saying, ah, we're going to let it all go. We're not going to bring charges against this group of criminals who tried to overthrow our democracy. I believe more and more each day that, yes, justice is coming and that it looks like a massive seditious conspiracy indictment. Yeah. And not only that, but this isn't a situation like we're in with the Trump organization and Vance, where they might have a hard time proving that Trump knew, even though we know he knew. But he didn't have emails and Weisselberg's not going to flip. We don't need to worry about that in this case, because we have a Trump phone call with handwritten contemporaneous notes to the Department of Justice saying, I need you to just say that the election was corrupt. Then you've got Clark writing these letters out saying, Everybody, you're to the states, the swing states, your election was corrupt and you need to appoint a new slate of electors. Then we've got the six point memo saying, here's what you do. You you throw out those seven states and ask for those alternate slates of electors. It's A, B, C on paper, written down documentary evidence. There's no way it's not seditious conspiracy. And following up on that, A.G., He is identifying his co-conspirators and defining their roles, because what else did he say to Jeff Clark and company? Doesn't matter that it wasn't rigged. Just say it was rigged and leave the rest to me and my allies in Congress. He has now told Jeffrey Clark, he's told the world what Jeffrey Clark's role is in the conspiracy, which Jeffrey Clark dutifully carried out at least to a point. Right. And he has announced that his co-conspirators in Congress will be assisting him in this criminal endeavor. I mean, for gosh sakes, you can't not bring that case. You can't not bring that case. Dereliction of duty, silver platter. I mean, well, let me tell you, prosecuted for far less. And rarely do I go here because we're not there yet. But the crime of accessory after the fact says If you know a crime has been committed against the United States, AG, you and I know, and surely the people at the Department of Justice empowered to hold these people accountable, know, if you know a crime has been committed against the United States, 
Can you do anything to assist the perpetrator in avoiding apprehension, punishment? You're guilty of the crime of accessory after the fact. So I understand that rarely would we say somebody exercising their prosecutorial discretion and deciding not to bring a criminal case could possibly have some kind of culpable liability for that. But listen, if I was the prosecutor and I was deciding whether I want to charge my brother, I mean, my biological brother, literally, I don't have one. So that's the example I'm using. And I know my brother committed a crime against the United States. And I know there's enough evidence to bring a charge. And I say, I'm not going to bring a charge against my brother. That makes me an accessory after the fact. So it gets really dangerous, I contend, when the powers that be at the Department of Justice have enough evidence to charge a criminal former president. And they don't do it because why? Hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I have some questions, too, about something that Scott McFarland said, FBI Director Ray said recently. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? I will. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG with the Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Upstart. If you're carrying a credit balance month after month, if you've been living off your credit cards during the pandemic, like myself and a lot of my friends have, it can feel like you're in a never ending cycle of debt. You keep throwing that minimum payment at it and the balance doesn't change. But Upstart can help you make that final payment and get ahead. With an online personal loan from Upstart, you can pay off your debt quickly. Over half a million people have used Upstart to consolidate debt and pay off credit cards. They fund personal expenses with simple fixed payments. It's amazing. Other lenders look only at your credit score, but at Upstart, you're more than a number. So they look at your income and your employment history, which means they can offer a smarter rate for you with their trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval, your funds can be available as soon as one business day. I know lots of people have found themselves in a financial hole over the past year and a half. So I highly recommend checking out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and other certain information provided in your application. Just go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by the amazing new way to get wines shipped right to my door. It's called Lathwaite's. For over 50 years, 50 years, Lathwaite's has been delivering wine the right way, from people who love making it to people who love drinking it. At Lathwaite's, a wine subscription is fun and easy, and it's a way to bring exciting new wines right to your doorstep. You can unbox a world of wine with easy access to different and unexpected small mom-and-pop winemakers from all over the globe. With a Lathwaite's wine subscription, you can say goodbye to boring overpriced bottles and hello to new wines from the hottest emerging wine ranges from around the world. All the wines you receive are curated for you based on your enjoyment, and Lathwaite's tastes over 40,000 wines a year, but only 600 make the cut, so you're enjoying the cream of the crop. Each box includes tasting notes, food pairing tips, and serving inspirations. Subscriptions are flexible, and they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love a wine for any reason, let Lathwaite's know, and you'll receive a refund. And right now, you can get six amazing bottles of wine, plus two bonus bottles, and two stemless wine glasses, all for $49.99 plus tax and free delivery. Just text the word BEANS to 64000 to get this special offer. Again, text BEANS to 64000. You're going to love these wines and this company. And seriously, six bottles plus two bottles plus two stemless glasses for $49.99 with free delivery plus tax. That's amazing. One more time to get that offer, just text BEANS to 64000. Terms apply. Available at lathwaites.com slash terms. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking to the host of Justice Matters, my friend Glenn Kirshner. And your friend, too. I mean, he can be everyone's friend. I'm not going to hoard him as a friend. Uh, but here's the <laughs> everyone away. Uh, no, here's here's the thing. Scott McFarlane, who has been doing outstanding coverage of the insurrection investigation and the prosecutions of 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 the people you know, being charged for January 6th, ha- had tweeted out kind of just sort of out, out of without context that Director Ray had testified to a House committee. He didn't say which one that. You have the verbiage. What did he say? I have the language. I printed it out here. So Scott tweeted out, FBI Director Chris Ray tells U.S. House Committee to expect more superseding indictments with new charges in January 6th case. And I was intrigued. I retweeted it. I trust Scott. I do a lot of work with Scott on uh, his NBC clips for the insurrection case. So, uh, and I'm actually waiting to hear back from Scott about where precisely this testimony unfolded what date and before what committee. So maybe I'm not sure if it's something that Ray may have said 
some weeks ago, or he said it recently. We want to drill down and get get the uh, the attribution there. But you know, if, if in fact that's accurate, and I have no reason to believe it's not, you know, superseding indictments is a term of art. First of all, a term of legal art, which is usually the ugliest kind of art, but it's a term of art. A superseding indictment, strictly speaking, means you're taking a current indictment and you are adding to it and returning a new indictment that is larger, but that includes the original charges. Now, superseding can mean we're adding more defendants, but we're not changing the nature of the charges. Superseding can mean we're not adding any defendants, but we are upping the criminal ante, like we're going from a conspiracy charge against the Oath Keepers or the Three Percenters or whomever, and we are now returning an indictment for seditious conspiracy. That would be a superseding indictment. It can also be both. It can be we're adding defendants and we're upping the criminal ante with respect to the charges. So superseding is a term of art, but it can mean a number of different things. In the context of this tweet and Director Ray saying it, to me, it sounds like we're going from perhaps a simple conspiracy to get together and attack the Capitol if you're Proud Boys or Oath Keepers to a seditious conspiracy, which has been kind of, you know, kicked around, you know, that half-baked bar lackey. I think Tim Sherwin made some ill-advised statements about it, but it's been kind of in the atmosphere. So I, I hope that's what what Ray was referring to. Yeah. And I mean, it's seditious conspiracy it means plot to overthrow the government. And I think they now have enough people pleading guilty in the insurrection to obstructing Congress, uh, an act of Congress, which is the count of the Electoral College. And you and I talked about how that implicates people in a charge to overthrow the government in a seditious conspiracy charge. They have those now. They have several of them, plus all the other, you know, information they have to bring forward those seditious conspiracy charges. And we know, uh, was it Sherwin who came out, who was still the D.C. U.S. attorney, who was like, oh, yeah, they're looking at seditious conspiracy. And everyone's like, shut up. Yeah. And I think we got an indication more recently that they were looking into seditious conspiracy. Didn't we see that somewhere? We saw it, I believe, in an affidavit in support of a search warrant by which the FBI seized the phone of an attorney for, I think, the Oath Keepers, which actually was a big deal that got like no attention in the media. Big deal for two reasons. One, let me tell you, I have sought search warrants for attorneys' stuff, and the Department of Justice, the higher-ups, get very excited. You know, my thing is, hey, it's an attorney. The attorney's doing crime. We need to seize their property. But it's an attorney. You don't care. But you have to go through all of these layers of bureaucratic approval to search and seize an attorney's property. In part, that's justified because there could be attorney-client privileged information in the materials that we're seizing. So we have to put some extra safeguards in place, things called paint teams and, and, the, and the like. But one, we seized a phone, a cell phone of a lawyer for the Oath Keepers, somebody in the general counsel's office who knew the Oath Keepers had general counsel. And two, that lawyer is not a charged defendant. So it's really intriguing and important that we're going after lawyers' phones for some of these defendants who are charged in the insurrection. Yeah, I'm wondering if there isn't some sort of communication that is exempted by crime fraud exception that they needed to get a hold of. But I mean, you know, I'm purely speculating. But there were there were like nine counts they were looking at that were listed in that warrant. Seditious conspiracy was one of them. Mm -hmm. So, again, just Absolute immense amount of immense amounts of evidence um, uh, coming out here. I cannot get off of that that idea that somewhere Clark and Eastman talked about this plan to send the letters out for Trump to say that, you know, just say there was corruption. He'll take care of the Republicans in Congress, send these letters out, get new get new slates of electors warmed up and ready to go so that Pence can throw out seven electoral college states and bring those new electors in. They win 232 to 222. And since no one reached 270, that throws it to the House of Representatives. And as we know, each state gets one vote and that would be Republicans would be able to reelect Donald Trump. And that is it. We talked about that, like being a far fetched. No way they're going to try that shit. Right. Like we went down those rabbit holes, didn't we, Glenn? 
And in the strangest plot twist ever, Dan Quayle gallops into the rescue. I mean, a strong wind could blow that guy over, politically speaking. And yet he's telling Pence, Mike, don't be an idiot. You can't over overthrow the will of the American voters. And Pence apparently was persuaded by Dan Quayle. I mean, a, a Hollywood scriptwriter could not make that one up. No, and I didn't have Dan Quayle stealing <laughs> the Mormon white horse prophecy from Mitt Romney on my bingo on card bingo, this yeah. time around because I don't think Dan Quayle's a Mormon. Exceptionally, like I even tweeted, I still can't get over this Dan Quayle shit. Yeah. Like no one can. Very interesting. We're going to see what happens. I am a lot more pumped now, especially since Lawrence Tribe put that tweet out with the Bannon thing. And and uh, before we get out of here really quickly, when, you know, we you know, I know when Lawrence Tribe tweets, thus follows the Department of Justice. And, and maybe it's all coincidence, but he tweeted about Mo Brooks. Mo Brooks decision came out, tweeted about SB8, lawsuit against SB8 came out. Not, you know, and I'm not saying that it's only because of Lawrence Tribe or that Merrick Garland wasn't doing this on his own, but he definitely has his ear and he's tweeting now about this massive seditious conspiracy and how Bannon is involved. So just real quick, we've only got a couple minutes left. What, what, what do we know about Bannon? Yeah, so this act, this is my Justice Matters video, which we'll be posting in about an hour because it goes through, first of all, the Newsweek reporting about, I guess, the bits and pieces are dribbling out, which is good marketing for the book Peril, right? We, you know, no surprise there. But one of the things that was just reported out by Newsweek from the Woodward and, and Costa reporting is that there was the January 5th war room pre-insurrection meeting at which Bannon told Trump, and I quote, it's time to kill the Biden presidency in the crib. Now, you can't make up a more seditious statement if you try. So I think that has earned Bannon a marquee spot on the seditious conspiracy indictment that is inevitable. It must be coming. So you go from that reporting to Lawrence Tribe picking up on it and saying, hey, that I can read Tribe's tweet is, it'd be hard to justify DOJ inaction in the face of this rapidly mounting evidence of a criminal conspiracy to commit sedition against the U.S. government and to give aid and comfort which comes right out of the rebellion or insurrection statute. So, you know, I agree. I embrace anything that Lawrence Tribe says because he's kind of the voice of constitutional authority on this. And then you go to the third thing that we've already discussed, which is McFarland says, Ray says more indictments are coming. Put those things together, AG, and we actually have reason to feel good at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree. And and I just want to Put it out there that if we do see seditious conspiracy charges superseding indictments on the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers or Three Percenters, that might not mean we are going to also see those same charges on the organizers. And, the, you know, they may, they're working their way up. There may still be some investigatory steps yet to go. But you and I have talked. Well, let's just bring him in on obstruction of justice, please, while we wait. But I don't I don't want anyone to be like. When we see if, if yeah. we see these seditious conspiracy indictments, I don't want people to say, what the fuck, Garland, you get, resign. We were expecting the leaders to be indicted just, you know, because maybe you could just talk about that for a second, because I, I feel like that's where it's headed. Yeah, because in a case like this, there will be multiple rounds of superseding indictments. There's not just one more coming and it's an all or nothing proposition. And we have to live with whoever is indicted in that superseding indictment. There will be more and more and more. The funders and the organizers, I think, are interesting questions because if you fund something that you don't necessarily know will morph into a violent attack on the Capitol, you may not have criminal culpability. If you're strictly organizing something you think will be a peaceful rally, you know, how you can think that is another question. You may not have criminal culpability as one of the organizers. The people who have criminal culpability are the insiders for sure, because you only have to roll the tape of what Trump said, what Giuliani said, what Don Jr. said, what Mo Brooks said. And don't forget, John Eastman, the six point mm. plan to overthrow the government, also spoke and incited the crowd. So the insiders, if I had to bet my own money, I would lay my bet on the insiders before I necessarily laid bets 
on the funders and the organizers because they're they're not quite so central. Mm-hmm. But the insiders are the ones who launched the attack. You can't, they're the generals. When the generals order the attack and the attack is unlawful, you can't just charge the foot soldiers, mm-hmm. the idiots who were beating the Capitol Police and looking to hang Mike Pence. You have to indict the generals who gave the order to attack. Those are the insiders. Yeah. And the funders and the organizers can be a little bit tricky, too, because as you and I have talked about, you have to prove intent there. And they may have just intended to have a rally and not a coup. Yeah. And so they have to prove that, too. All right. Well, thank you very much. Everybody check out Justice Matters. I appreciate your time. Glenn Kirshner. It's been great to talk to you. We'll, we'll check back in shortly. Thanks, AJ. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. This portion of the show is brought to you by my favorite snack, Toodaloo. It's the tastiest and most satisfying trail mix I've ever had. So you can say goodbye to boring, bland trail mix made with chemicals that harm your health and the environment. Toodaloo is my new go-to snack. Most trail mixes are filled with processed sugars and dirty nuts that are roasted in toxic refined oils like canola oil and palm oil or soybean oil. But not Toodaloo. Toodaloo is the world's first all-natural, totally delicious, climate-friendly trail mix packed with plant proteins, superfoods, and adaptogens like lion's mane and ashwagandha to support your mind and body. They have five different delicious flavors, chocolate, maple brittle, coffee, barbecue, and hot and spicy. And each flavor has ancient herbs that promote specific functions in the body, such as better skin or better gut health. My favorite right now is Smoke Show because it has 42 grams of plant protein per bag. It's low in carbs and it supports my energy throughout the day. Toodaloo is grain-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free, processed sugar-free, and their packaging is plastic neutral. And for every order placed, Toodaloo regenerates 100 square feet of polluted farmland back into rich, fertile soil. Nutritious food for you and a cleaner planet for all of us. We've got a special offer for listeners. You get $5 off your first order of Toodaloo by going to the best URL ever, toodaloo.com slash beans. That's toodaloo, T-O-O-D-A-L-O-O dot com slash beans. Toodaloo is so confident you'll love it. Each purchase has a 100% best taste guarantee. This will definitely become your favorite go-to snack. Seriously, the taste is incredible. So visit toodaloo.com slash beans to try it today. And today's show is also brought to you by Scribd. Do you ever spend more time browsing for entertainment than actually enjoying it? I do. I really do. I always have a tough time trying to pick out a new book or a new audiobook, but Scribd saves me time and makes choosing my next book so much easier. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, court documents, wink, wink, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. Scribd is the ultimate reading subscription service. It lets you explore all of your interest in any format you choose ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, again, court documents, all for $9.99 a month. You get an entire library for less than the cost of a single book. No complicated credits that can expire. No additional purchases are required. And if you're not sure what to read, Scribd combines the latest technology with the best human minds to recommend content you'll love. And if you want to change things up, you can switch between titles, genres, and formats anytime on your phone, tablet, or computer. And right now, we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. Get all your court documents on Scribd with a free 60-day trial by going to try.scribd.com slash dailybeans. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com slash dailybeans. And you get 60 days of Scribd for free. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is all the way. And joining me today for the good news is no one. Everybody's out. Amy's being a movie star. Dana's traveling. So I'm going to read the good news. It's you and I. Just you and I. I'm so excited. Okay. First of all, if you have any confessions or corrections or good news or anything you want to submit, pod pets, pod pet tax, adoptable shelter animals in your area. If you want to play What the Mutt, you know all of our games. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com. And clicking on contact, we really appreciate you sending in the good news. First of all, we have a correction, a little clarification from Mary Trump herself about Donald's current lawsuit. Hi, guys. Just wanted to clarify something for those talking about the lawsuit. The documents I handed over to New York Times were received in discovery during the 2000 lawsuit over my grandfather's estate. They were not Donald's tax returns, I wish. They were tax documents for my grandfather, grandmother, and his property. So he can't claim they ever belonged to him in the first place. So just wanted to get that note out there. Thanks, Mary, for clarifying that. Also, we have a clarification about SB8 in Texas. I've heard it reported that the people who win their suit are awarded money judgment against the defendant of no less than 10,000 plus attorney's fees. Some reporting makes it seem like the money is coming from a magic pot or a state fund or some other third party. It's not. That money would be coming from the loser of the lawsuit. The abortion provider, the appointment taker at the clinic, the driver, whomever is named in the suit, 
And that can't be the person who had the abortion. Hopefully this shit gets overturned soon. Thanks for all the news and swears. Thank you. Anonymous correction. Next up from Robin, pronouns she and her. Good morning, Queens of the Beans and Leguminati. Thank you every day for keeping me informed and making me laugh on the way to my new job. I was laid off for a year and now I'm back at it. Good news first. Last Friday, I accidentally left my change purse on the table with a $100 bill in it at an honor system flower sale. Oh, I realized this on Saturday and went back and someone found it and put it in the lockbox with my money still in it. Ah, it's the honor system flower sale. Faith in humanity restored. Pet pod tax. Find the sweetie. This little girl was my husband's Christmas gift this year as we lost three of our beautiful cats in 2020 due to the due to various reasons. So she has brought us joy. Fuck 2020. Of course, 2021 isn't much better so far. LOL. Check out her go-go boots. All right, let's see. Oh, look it. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> I see your little face peeking out. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. And she does have nice go-go boots. Oh, this looks just like Bruce Willis. Oh my goodness. What a sweetie. Now, Bruce Willis doesn't have the the stripe on the forehead, doesn't go out. It's like cut. It's a little bit cut off and it's in the shape of a heart. But the belly markings are pretty much the same. Look at this. Oh, I love tuxies. So cute. And the one in the tree is hilarious. All right, next up from Allison, pronouns she and her. This MSW Hallelujah Project attempt is brought to you from a place of mild TMI and the relief that came from it. All right, here we go. Singing. I live in Texas. Yes, that state, the one that passed damn SB8. They really don't care for uteruses, do ya? My period's weird. It's often late. It scares me every chance it gets. But this month it arrived four days early. Hallelujah. I hope this makes you laugh. Oh, and says, I'm back to only one week pregnant. Hallelujah. I hope this makes y'all laugh and bring some light to this dark spot we're currently dealing with. Sorry about my voice. It's a little uh, off today. Next up, Gerald pronouns he and him. Lovely, lively legume ladies. Thank you so much for all the wonderful podcasting goodness. All praise falls short of describing what a literal lifesaver podcasts have been for me. I'm writing today to share that I have solved the litter box smell problem, at least in this house. As you see, in the attached image, I, one, put the litter box in the closet adjacent to the bathroom, two, installed a wall vent between the closet and bathroom, and three, use a smart switch to periodically run the bathroom fan, clearing out all of the smells. Now cats can do their whiz-biz without fouling up the place. News too good to keep to myself. Also attached is a picture of the kitties and doggies. P.S. It was lovely to see Allison in D.C., for the live record of cleanup. Thank you, Gerald. It was good to see you too. What a good idea. Look at, oh, and there's a little vent and there's the thing and there's the box and there's the door. Sweet idea. <gasps> I love these cat hexagons and the vest, the cat vest. This reminds me of Marty from, from Back to the Future. Look at these babies. Hello, Great Dane. Oh, that's so cute. Well done. Thank you for that submission, Gerald. I appreciate it. Next up from Anonymous, no pronouns given. Hello, Beans Queens. I am a big fan, but came to the show a bit more recently than most. If you don't mind, please explain again how you managed to get They Might Be Giants to write and perform the theme song. I couldn't believe my luck. When the theme song started on the first episode I listened to, I was hooked from the theme, and I'm now a subscriber to MSW, Book Club, FBI, Cleanup, and even Opening Arguments and a few others that I learned about from you. Thanks uh, for all you do, and thanks to They Might Be Giants as well. For my pet tax, it's a picture of Daisy, who is now four, but still looks likes to sit on her back legs, sticking out uh, between her front legs. Oh, that's so fun. Not exactly a what the mutt, but let's see whether you know your toy breeds. Oh, all right. Oh, we have more here. Uh, first of all, I'll answer your They Might Be Giant question, Anonymous. They Might Be Giants posted uh, uh, January 23rd, 2019. They made a Twitter post. I remember the day till I die because it was three days after my birthday and we were in L.A. getting ready to talk to creative artist agency, a new agent, and a new manager. And the Amazon Giants put out a post with a tiny song, pour some beans on it, and just a picture of a statue in a museum. And it became a dial-a-song, which blew my mind because I'd been calling dial-a-song running up long-distance charges from Phoenix to Brooklyn <laughs> back in the 80s. Dial-a-song is where they would put a, a, literally a 15-second to one-minute song on their answering machine in their apartment in Brooklyn. And I just absolutely died. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then found out they were fans of the podcast, and I was fans of them. And then I got an email 
And they said, here, we put together some, we know you're coming out with the Daily Beans. You're going to release that to the public. It's been, it's been a, for, for a long time, it was a, a bone, it was bonus content for Muller She Wrote patrons, the Daily Beans episodes. They said, we know you're going to release them to the public. We thought we'd help you out with some music. And, and that's how the amazing They Might Be Giants ended up composing our theme song. Next up here from Anonymous, we have a hallelujah verse. A-G-G-G. Okay, I'm going to sing it. <clears throat> I'm going to try. Three, two. A-G-D-G, they are the queens, bringing us our daily beans. Vulgarity and news is coming to ya. Then Friday comes a last resort. Settled your brief in Amy's court. Another fucking verse of hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. And for shits, my kids said, when my daughter was, quote, too cute for words, three years old, her mother told her, you're so cute, I just want to eat you up. Where should I start? And she replied with zero hesitation, you can start with my boogers. That is a go-to phrase for a variety of situations in our house. And then look at this pupper. This is the pet tax. Thank you for sending this in. So, wow, we got the they might be giants question, a what the mutt, a hallelujah verse, and a shit my kid says all in one submission. Let me see if I can what the mutt this doggo. This looks like a, a little poodle and maybe a shih tzu. Let's see. Uh, Malti-poo, Maltese uh, and, and shih tzu. Okay, I was close. Mal- poodle and Maltese. Okay, so I had one right. I got the poodle part right. Thank you. And thank you, Daisy. What a cute Maltipoo. I appreciate you guys sending in all this stuff. I apologize for having to read the news alone today, but not really. Sorry, not sorry. Everyone is is busy today. And I was happy to have these these moments with, you know, just you and I. I appreciate them. So if you have any good news you want to send in or corrections, confessions, what the mutt, anything, you can send it in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I don't have anyone to ask what their final thoughts are. So my final thoughts are have an amazing weekend. Please tune into Muller She Wrote and the MSW Book Club this Sunday. You will not regret it. Very, very important information coming out and a lot of interesting speculation on some potential upcoming indictments. Uh, You won't want to miss it with Scott Stedman on Muller She Wrote. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.